Everyone, how's everyone doing today? Good. All right. Well, um, if you've been attending New Day this year and uh, regularly come into services, you know that we're focusing on uh, some of the main aspects of ministry, some of the things that we really value here at New Day. And uh, we kind of capture that using the FIRE acronym. And uh, we're really focusing on the first part of that in this first part of the year, which is that the Father loves us. And so, I don't know, for some of us, you know, maybe growing up in church, we didn't always get the, get the impression that God was a loving Father, right? Sometimes um, the judgment side of God or some other side of God's nature is emphasized. Uh, one of the things that uh, we see pretty clearly when Jesus is in his earthly ministry, and he talks about God, this part of the Trinity, when he talks about who God is, um, he often talks about God as a loving Father. And at New Day, we really want to talk about that side of who God is. And so this morning, we're going to look at ways that Jesus communicated God's love, ways that Jesus really would talk about and display the love of God. And this is really important because, you know, sometimes we can be tempted to think that, okay, I'm really focused on, you know, making sure that I know for myself that God loves me. And that is important. It's important that we each, you know, have that revelation of God's love for us. But did you know that God's love is not just for us, right? It's not just for those of us who are in this room. It's not just for those of us who attend New Day Community Church regularly, whether it's here or in the Vandalia camps. It's not just for us. It's not just for the church. Right? God's love is big enough that it's for everyone in the world. It's for everyone. His love does not make a distinction. And so this morning we want to think about how does Jesus communicate the love of God our Father, because in that way, when we look at what Jesus has done, it helps us to know how we can communicate God's love to others. So that's what we're going to spend some time thinking about uh, this morning and focusing on, is how did Jesus communicate the love of the Father? All right, as we get into this, I want to illustrate talk about a problem that we face in our world. Okay, so there's lots of problems in the world. Which one? Well, one of the problems we face is that we live in a world that's divided, right? We just, as humans, cannot get along with each other very well, right? Sometimes we see this among friends. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's, you know rival groups, whatever. Whenever it's extended to its largest, it's nation warring against nation. Well, I don't know if you watch a lot of late night TV. Does anybody watch the late night TV shows or anything like that? A couple of people. Well, I don't really watch that much late night TV, but I did happen to catch the first ever Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show. Did anybody watch that? Anybody happen to catch it? All right. So he's trying to make a big splash, and he, of course, has to have awesome musical guests on there. So what better musical guests to have 
than what I consider to be traditional Irish music. You know where I'm going? You too. Beautiful. So, you two come on and they play their first song on the rooftop. It's awesome. And then later they're on the couch playing acoustic. Couple of songs. And what was amazing to me as I listened to the two songs is that there's um, these strong themes that unite both of these songs that are actually, I was actually kind of mulling over what I was going to share on for this sermon. And I heard these two songs and I thought there's something here that can help us as we get into this whole idea this morning. So the first song they did is Invisible. I don't know if you've heard it. It's their new, their new single. And um, it's a song about like, kind of leaving home, that idea of like the world's a big place, you're trying to find your way, and that can be difficult, and you're trying to get out there and, and make, make your way in the world. And you know, it's a song just kind of about that whole process. And the bridge to the song contains the line, there is no them, there's only us. There is no them, there's only us. And that line really stood out to me. So, so kind of hold on to that, that line. There, there is no them, there's only us. So later they come in, you know, Fallon's had Will Smith on, and then, you know, U2 is on the couch, and it's kind of like one of those pretend, like, impromptu showbiz moments where they're like, oh, if you happen to have a guitar handy, could you play another song? So, oh, here we go. And they happen to have some guitars conveniently stashed behind the couch, so they, uh, they play another song. And this song is taken from a recent movie about the life of Nelson Mandela. And if you know anything about his story, you know that he's kind of a modern embodiment of the power of forgiveness and overcoming racial divide and oppression in South Africa. So this song is really honoring um, his legacy. They were asked to write it for the movie. And what these two songs kind of yearn for and get at is this idea of we, deep down at our core, know that we're supposed to get along with other people, right? To live in peace, to live in harmony. We see this come out in all sorts of ways in our culture. You don't have to be a Christian to get the idea of we should get along with each other, right? I mean, that's just a, a thing that we know deep down somewhere in our core, and yet it's so hard to live that out sometimes, right? It's so hard to live that out. And the problem is we love to kind of label people, think about them a certain way, and then once we've done that, we love to kind of make value statements or judgments about them based on how we've kind of slotted them into these categories. And our world encourages us to do this, right? It encourages us to label other people, encourages us to divide into groups and, you know, live separate from people that we don't like. And then, you know, once we've got people sorted into different categories, then we can, you know, just easily make judgments about them based on those labels that we create. And this starts, you know, really young. It's a really obvious one, and it's, you know, it's natural, I guess. But a child is born, it's a boy or a girl, right? Okay, so that's, you know, helpful. we got to know is a boy or a girl. But so much of people's lives around the world are determined just by gender. And so many value statements are put on, you know, what it is especially to be a woman and the opportunities that a female might have in our society, in any culture in the world. So we might think it's just, oh, you're a boy or a girl. Yeah, but there's so many values and judgments that go with that. A child grows up, they're maybe learning to, to you know, use their hands a little bit, maybe even write. And, you know, what, what is it then? Are you a lefty or a righty? Any lefties? Wow, like maybe five. Right-handed? Everybody, are you right-handed? Who's right-handed? Wow, well, look at that. Anybody both? A couple of people? Three? All right. Awesome. We just divided into three groups. 
Good job, everyone. You know, you grew up as a kid, and maybe you're not very coordinated, and it's like, oh, sports are not your thing. Don't worry about playing sports. Maybe you're artsy. Right? We've got to find a label for you. Um, maybe you, you grow up, you get to the end of high school, and you got a decision, right? Should I go to college or not? Right? And we can make another, another value statement about somebody. Did they go to college or did they not go to college? And then if they did go to college, which college did they go to? Because we have very strong opinions about that as well. The first time maybe you go to vote, two-party system, Republican or Democrat. you got to decide. You could. Even when we work, you know, there's the idea, are you blue-collar, white-collar worker? Do you work for someone else? Do you work for the men? Or do you work for yourself? You know? All these ways of thinking about people and sometimes they're helpful, right? It is good to know kind of what group you might belong to. It's good to know who you can share values with and what you have in common with people. So it's not all bad. But often, the ways that we think about people can take on this, this negative tone, right? It can be easy to slip into judgment. And if you take it to its furthest extent, it can get very dark, right? Where we, at its most extreme, limit people's opportunity in society where we culturally say you can have these opportunities and you cannot think back to Nelson Mandela in South Africa labeling people putting them into different categories based on the color of their skin taken to a dark place one of the ways that Jesus communicated God's love is that he challenged this whole idea of labeling people he challenged our labels and our ideas that we have about people. The first area I want to talk about is that Jesus communicated God's love through words. You may be familiar with this idea of Jesus spoke in parables. You know, these stories that had a deeper meaning, but really were based on everyday events. So, just want to talk about a couple of these as we get started this morning. The first one is parable of the great banquet, and the other is the parable of the good Samaritan. Both of these we're going to read from Luke's Gospel. The first one is taken from Luke 14, verses 16 to 24. I'll just read this as we go through it together. So the setting here is that Jesus is having a meal with some Pharisees, some religious leaders. And uh, as he's in that meal and they're talking, somebody asks him about this whole idea of just eating together. And it starts in verse 16. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, Well, I just bought a field, and I have to go see to it, so please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out, so uh, you have to excuse me. And then another said, Well, I just got married, so I can't come either, so... The bottom line is the servant goes back and reports to his master, the owner of the house. He becomes angry and ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. 
So we can assume then that that's been done and the servant comes back and said, you know, all of this has been done, but there's still room. The master told the servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So in this story, we have a rich man. He wants to throw a banquet. And basically none of his friends want to come. They all make excuses. And in the end, the people who are perhaps most surprising, the people who would never get an invite to this type of event, are the ones who end up filling the house. If Jesus hears the first people that heard this would have thought, who would ever, ever choose to invite these types of people to come and eat the food? Just throw the food away. Don't invite these types of people. They'll mess up your house. Don't invite these types of people to come and eat. Just call it off. Pretend you're sick. Right? The second parable I want to share is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the setting for this is that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a good question, right? It's a deep question. It's a good question to ask Jesus. But Jesus turns it around and said, well, essentially, you're an expert in the law. What's written in the law? What do you think? How do you read it? So the guy thinks about it, and he comes up with a fantastic Old Testament law answer, which is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh man, that's quality, Old Testament, I understand the law answer right there. That's a guy who knows his stuff. How do we know that's a good answer? Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So that's always great when Jesus affirms your answer, right? (laughs) So Jesus said, you're on the right track. Got a problem, though. Which part of the the two uh, parts of his answer did he have a problem with? The neighbor part. So he had said back to Jesus, I'm supposed to love God with basically everything I have and love my neighbor as myself. Amazingly, he didn't have a problem, it seems, with the first part. That part seems tough to me, got to be honest, to love God with absolutely everything I have all the time. Apparently this guy had that part figured out. He was worried about, oh man, who am I going to have to hang out with? Who am I going to have to associate with? This could be awkward. So just to check that he's on the right lines, he says to Jesus, uh, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him off his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, took pity on him, went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So, Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So a man is attacked, and the first two people walk by, ignore him, and the third person helps. The first two people, the priest and the Levite, are exactly the type of people the society would have thought would have stopped to help this person. These were people who were in God's service, and they ignore the guy. And the Samaritan, Samaritans, they're no good. A Samaritan would stop. Why would a Samaritan stop for this guy? Samaritans, no, no way. Yeah, in Jesus' story, Samaritan is the one who stops and offers help to this guy. So that's the first way Jesus communicates the love of God, our Father, is that he does it in words. He tells these stories, these parables, that really challenge people's idea of the nature of God and also the nature of our society and what we think of others. The second way is through actions. So Jesus doesn't just communicate in words. He also lives it out through actions. And I want to talk about one particular story in particular. We'll spend pretty much the rest of the time there this morning, which is the call of Matthew. And this is an example of Jesus showing action to demonstrate the love of God. So the call of Matthew is short. This is all of it right here. Matthew 9. 9 to 13, just five verses. Let's read them. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So there's two different scenes that are captured here for us. The first one is where Matthew is sitting at his tax collector's booth and Jesus walks up to him, says, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows Jesus. The second scene is a little bit later where they're at Matthew's house and they're having a meal together and there's lots of people there. So we don't really know a whole lot about the details of this. But we know enough where we can start to make some some good ideas work together to help us understand what's going on here. Now, Jesus is pretty early in his ministry. He's in the midst of calling his disciples, the 12 closest people that will be part of his inner circle, as it were. So he's called a few of them up to this point. Essentially, he's called a few of the guys to come and follow him who are fishermen. And Jesus has gone to where they've been fishing and seen them there, has said, follow me. They've said they would follow Jesus. They got up and left everything behind to follow Jesus. And we see exactly the same pattern here with Matthew, where Jesus goes to where Matthew is working at his tax collector's booth. And he says to Matthew, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, we might be able to imagine a little bit of what a fisherman's life was like, you know, where they would go out onto the lake, they're in a boat, you know, hauling in the nets, getting the fish out of the nets, bringing the fish to market. Okay, we have an idea of what that looks like. 
So we know what the fishermen left behind, or we have an idea. Well, what about Matthew? What was Matthew like? What was Matthew leaving behind? Well, again, we don't know a whole lot of the exact details of Matthew's life, but we know enough from that culture to get a pretty good idea of what Matthew was like. So what we know about Matthew is that he was a tax collector, right? It seems obvious he collects taxes. He's had a tax collecting booth. To be a tax collector in those days, and, and Anthony did a great job of kind of getting us thinking along these lines a few weeks ago, but what a tax collector embodied in that society was, if you were a tax collector, you were pretty much the embodiment of greed and, sh- and, and, and just corruption, and it was such a shameful profession. When people find out you were a tax collector, oh, that was terrible. You know, think about, think about the type of people who are just out for themselves. They're just greedy, corrupt. You know, we might say they don't have a good bone in their body. Just those types of people, you know. Man, those people are corrupt. There's nothing good about them. That was Matthew. See, what tax collectors would do is they would, you know, work with the local government. And the local government would say, we don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to bother with, like, actually having to go and physically collect taxes. Because that seems like a lot of work, right? So what they would do is put out for bid. And people would essentially buy the rights to collect taxes, right? So collecting taxes, they would, like, subcontract it off. And people like Matthew would get the rights to collect taxes in that region. So Matthew... You know, probably had to pay to get the rights. He's paid all the taxes up front, so the government's happy because they have their taxes. Now Matthew has this limited time where he's got to collect tax, right? And not just pay back what he's already paid to the government, you know, so he gets his money back. But, you know, how's Matthew going to live, right? He's got to charge a little bit extra, right? Make some money, make, you know, make this worthwhile. So what people like Matthew would do is, you know, they have... The government's going to give them freedom to collect tax, and the government also gives them freedom to collect a little bit more tax than maybe they might need. So Matthew would go to places where people had to go. Matthew would set up his tax collector's booth in the marketplace, or if there was a gate into the city that people would travel, he would sit there and he'd collect taxes all day long every day. So somebody might come up and Matthew's like, aha, I see here you owe, you know, let's put it into something we'd understand today. You understand, I, I understand you uh, owe here uh, $70. $70. You ready to pay $70 today? Yeah. Well, let's tell you what. Let's round it up to 100 Call it good. But I only owe 70 Yeah. Let's call it 100 though. And you know full well that ex- that extra 30 will go right into Matthew's pocket. Right? Tax collector. It's just what he does. Day after day, Transaction after transaction, skimming off the top, ripping people off, the epitome of what it is to be greedy and corrupt. So this is Matthew, just sitting at his tax collector booth when Jesus walks up. So if you're Matthew, you might be a little nervous. Maybe you've heard of Jesus, maybe you haven't, we don't know. But with Jesus, you know, the disciples that Jesus has already called would be coming in tow. So let's, let's think about Peter, for example. So Jesus is called Peter, and wherever Jesus goes, Peter's there, right? So if you're Peter, you're thinking, 
awesome. We stopped at Matthew's tax collector booth. And maybe, as Peter, you've had to pay taxes to Matthew at some point in your life. Maybe he's personally ripped you off. If he hasn't ripped you off, you might know somebody that, you know, he's ripped off before. Somebody in your family, friend, whatever. If Peter didn't know Matthew personally, he would have known the type of person Matthew was. Right? Greedy, corrupt, just out for himself. That's the type of person Matthew is. You might have been happy that Jesus was going to talk to Matthew. This should be good. Jesus is going to tell him to, sh- to shape up, get his life figured out. Right? Stop ripping people off. This is going to be great. So, imagine Peter's surprise when Jesus and Matthew are having a conversation and it doesn't seem to be going as planned, where Jesus is not giving him a sermon about how to turn his life around. Where, in fact, what Jesus is doing is inviting him to become a disciple. That cannot be right. Jesus, there's got to be somebody else. I think there's a beggar over there that would be a better fit. I don't want to be with this guy. But true enough, Matthew gets up, leaves everything behind, and joins the group. If you're Peter, this is super awkward, embarrassing, shameful. Jesus, I do not want to be with this guy. I heard he rips people off. So what did uh, Matthew and Jesus talk about? Well, we don't know for sure, but we know that they arranged a meal and for some people to come over. Maybe Matthew, you know, he's so grateful to Jesus. He says, I don't know how to do much, but I know how to handle money. And I'll be good, I promise. I won't rip people off now that I'm following you. But does your group need anyone to handle money? You must need money to buy stuff. Do you need somebody to handle money? I can do that for you. Jesus said, no, don't worry about that. I got somebody else in mind who can handle the money for us. Who was Judas, by the way. I don't need you to handle the money. Tell you what, Matthew, what would be really awesome is if we can just go have a meal at your house. Why don't you invite a bunch of people over that you know? We'll just hang out. If you're Matthew and you're a tax collector and nobody likes you, who are your friends? Tax collectors and sinners, right? Well, that's handy because then they don't have to hang out with anyone else, right? They can just always hang out by themselves. So later, we uh, fast forward to the second scene. We're hanging out at Matthew's house. Jesus is there. Not... This is where the third point comes in. So Jesus communicated by words, and by actions, and Jesus also spoke God's love by breaking down barriers of division and fully identifying with sinners. See, a meal, to have a meal with somebody in the time that we're talking about here in this story, to have a meal with somebody was to say, socially, we are as close as can be. There was no other higher way of saying, I am fully identifying myself with this person. If you had a meal at someone's house, you were saying, we are one. 
So when Jesus said to Matthew, let's have a meal at your house, Jesus was saying to Matthew, I fully identify myself with you. When people see you, they'll see me. When people see me, they'll see you. Maybe Matthew said, Jesus, you don't want to be seen with somebody like me. No, Matthew, you're the exact type of person I want to be seen with. This was culturally just so oh, so difficult for people to figure out what is Jesus doing. And of course, our helpful Pharisees who are always there say, what is Jesus doing? What is going on here? So, what's going on is that Jesus is fully identifying himself with tax collectors and sinners, the lowest of the low. So Jesus replies to the Pharisees in three ways. He basically uses the image of somebody being sick and needing help. He said, the sick need a doctor. These people need me. He uses an Old Testament famous passage from the book of Micah to talk about God's mercy and basically challenges the Pharisees and their understanding of God. Basically said, you, you know, what he's really saying here is, you read the Old Testament and you, you don't know that God desires mercy more than sacrifice? That God's merciful? You don't know that? And then he said that he's come to call sinners and not the righteous. And by saying that, he basically is saying, I'm here for these tax collectors and sinners. You people who are righteous, I'm not here for you. So in this passage, Jesus aligns himself with Matthew, demonstrates the mercy that God has towards sinners and the power that God has to forgive sin. And Matthew didn't really do anything that we know of to merit all of this favor, to merit all of this grace. And in fact, by human standards, he was probably the least deserving person, right? All he did was rip people off all day. Right? That was his job. And yet, this is the type of person that Jesus goes up to. Says, you're going to be a good fit. You want to come join our group? You want to follow me? You know, we're often tempted to view others who are different than ourselves. And like I said earlier, make you know, value statements and judgments. It's really easy to do. And I think why that line from the song of Isabel really caught me where, you know, it just talks about there is no them, there's only us. We're all in this together. And as tempted as we are to come up with labels and put people into different categories, the reality is that there's only us as humans, made in the image of God, all fallen and all lost. Romans chapter 3, 22 to 24 said, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're all in this together. We've all been lost, and we've all needed the mercy and grace of God. And maybe it finds us at different stages of life, but we've all needed it. 
perhaps we're tempted to say about someone or maybe we think it, you know, no hope for that person. That person will never become a Christian. Either they won't find God or God won't find them, but whatever way it's going to work theologically, they won't ever become a Christian. Did somebody ever say that about you? That guy. There's no way that guy's going to become a Christian. He's as lost as they come. Maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you think, wow, God's never going to be able to reach out to me. Well, if Jesus can walk up to Matthew in a tax collector's booth and say, come and follow me, doesn't matter what you've done, I know exactly who you are, I still want you to follow me anyway, it still applies for us today. We might also ask, who is Matthew in our world? Who are the people that we basically say, oh, there's no hope for them? That group of people, no hope for any of them either. Can't see them coming to Jesus. But how can we, like Jesus, communicate the love of God in our world? How can we do that? You know? Like Peter, who followed Jesus all the way to a tax collector's home, somewhere he thought he'd never be. When we decide to follow Jesus, where might we end up? We might end up in places we didn't think. But how can we communicate the love of God following the example of Jesus? Dan's going to lead us in a time of response. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. Boy, I think we can all relate to Peter. We can all relate to Matthew. Um, You know, just the whole label thing. And, you know, thinking if Peter and Matthew would have met the day before, I don't think Matthew would have been any more charitable toward Peter than Peter would to Matthew because I think a lot of times we start to believe our labels that people have given us. Uh, you know, yeah, we've got a problem there. Yep, I don't know if I'll ever be able to, you know, get over that. So, some things kept rolling through my mind, you know, and how many people we label and now we think, wow, we shouldn't do that. You know, we should we should look at them you know, then we have a tendency to correct ourselves and, and possibly say, boy, Jesus, you can really change that person. <clears throat> when basically our relationship with Jesus, I think, is our relationship with Jesus. And it's not Jesus, you can change that person, but Jesus, you can change me. You can change the way. I relate to others. So, and I, I, I just pray that, Jesus, please help us to see others as you see them. Not to see others as we think you're going to change them. Not to accept them for what they might become, but accept them as they are when we meet them. And may we be to them what you would have us be. May we 
demonstrate your love, your acceptance. You took me just the way I was. No way I could become good enough. But you took me just the way I was. And I pray that you help us accept others the same way. Changing them is your job, not ours. Ours is accepting them just as you accepted us. And we ask your forgiveness. And we give you our label gun. (laughs) And we ask your forgiveness for accepting labels put upon us. For doubting the power you have in our lives. To strengthen the power you've given us. To make a difference. To make us better. To help us grow closer and closer to the Father. And we forgive those who put labels all over us. Let's just think for a moment where we need forgiveness, with whom, and whom we need to forgive, if there's anybody in your life. Thank you, Jesus. anybody would like prayer today we have a prayer team on my right there's a prophetic team these are people who have been trained to hear God's voice and let them know what he's trying to say to you thank you all for coming today you are dismissed please pick up your children from children's church Love each other. Mm-hmm. Amen.